This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the man responsible for the largest and most damaging Swiss bank heist in history. It doesn't involve stolen money, but stolen computer files, which are being used by governments all over the world to track down thousands and thousands of tax cheats. And that's just part of the story. Looking at these documents here, I, this, this is shocking. For the average American taxpayer, it's beyond shocking. So The older people are passing it on to the younger generation so the younger generation can pass it on to the next generation. And this is your mission. I don't want this music to die. I'm going home. There sure didn't seem to be any risk of any music dying here, as Vi's group took the stage to perform a live 55-plus and kickin' before a packed house in Harlem. I'm Steve Croft. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Morley Safer. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. You know that feeling you get when you can get things done with just the click of your mouse? It can't get more convenient than that. And now, you can even get your mailing and shipping done without leaving your desk, thanks to Stamps.com. 
Stamps.com turns your PC or Mac into your own personal post office that never closes. Talk about convenient. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your computer and printer. Then just hand your mail to the mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox, and you'll never have to go to the post office again. Right now, use the promo code 60MINUTES for this special offer. A no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer that includes a digital scale that calculates exact postage for letters and packages and up to $55 of free postage. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. And before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in 60 Minutes. That's Stamps.com. Enter 60 Minutes. The largest and most damaging Swiss bank heist in history doesn't involve stolen money, but stolen computer files that are tied to Swiss bank accounts at HSBC, the second largest commercial bank in the world. A computer security specialist named Hervé Facciani stole the huge cache of over 100,000 names in 2007 and gave it to the French government. And as we first reported last February, those files now are being used to go after tax cheats all over the world. 60 Minutes, working with a group called the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, obtained the leaked files, which offer a rare glimpse into the highly secretive world of Swiss banking. They show the bank did business with a collection of international outlaws, tax dodgers, arms dealers, and drug smugglers. This is the stolen data that's shaking the Swiss banking world to its core. It contains names, nationalities, account information, deposit amounts. But most remarkable are these detailed notes revealing the private dealings between HSBC and its clients. Well, the amount of information here that has come public is extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. Few people know more about money laundering and tax evasion by banks than Jack Blum. You have a very serious problem. He's a former U.S. Senate staff investigator. We asked him to analyze the files for us. If you read these notes, what you understand is the bank is trying to accommodate the secrecy needs of the client. And that's the first concern. Take the case of British citizen Emmanuel Shallop. He was convicted for selling blood diamonds, those illegal gems used to finance conflicts in Africa. The documents show in 2005, HSBC knew Shallop was under investigation, yet helped hide his assets. We have opened a company account for him based in Dubai, one entry read. The client is very cautious currently because he's under pressure from Belgian tax authorities who are investigating his activities in the area of diamond tax fraud. You get into the notes and you find that they offer various products, uh, shell corporations, trusts, various ways of concealing the ownership of the account. They offer products that they're going to give to the customer that will help with the concealment. Concealment is what Irish businessman John Cashel got from HSBC. His file contained these notes by a bank employee. Cashel's preoccupation is with the risk of disclosure to Irish authorities. The employee went on, I endeavored to reassure him that there is no risk of that happening. Cashel was later convicted of tax evasion. The bank files we examined contain more than 4,000 names of people with connections to the U.S., holding more than $13 billion in HSBC accounts. One was a New Jersey realtor. 
The notes in her file reveal that she and her family wanted assurance that her assets would be well hidden from U.S. tax collectors. And she expresses the concerns to the bank, which in turn reassure her that they will find ways to keep her name out of the uh, sites of IRS. This seems to be evidence of the bank actively helping clients evade, if not cheat. Of course. You say, of course, but for us looking at these documents here, this, this is shocking. First of all, for the average American taxpayer, it's beyond shocking. But perhaps not that surprising. Swiss banks have been caught protecting tax dodgers before, but never has this much detail been revealed. Under U.S. law, any bank that does that, that assists a U.S. person in evading U.S. tax is guilty of a felony. And it doesn't matter where the bank is located or where the bankers are located. So we're looking at evidence of a felony here. Potentially, yes. The banknotes also show HSBC was a popular place for people in trouble with the law to stash their assets. British citizen Jeffrey Tesler was convicted by the U.S. of funneling $132 million in bribes to the Nigerian government to win billion-dollar engineering contracts. We found he used his family's HSBC accounts as conduits for the bribes. The documents show bankers knew Tesla was under investigation, yet failed to shut down those accounts. None of this would have surfaced had it not been for this man, Hervé Falciani, an HSBC computer security specialist at the Geneva, Switzerland branch. He stole the data in 2007. He likes that he's been called the Edward Snowden of Swiss banking. Now a fugitive living in France, he says he grew disillusioned with what he saw at HSBC and began to download proof of illegal tax evasion, those internal bank files. The information you took was not just names, but it was no. correspondence, yeah. deposits, deposit yeah. numbers. Exactly, exactly. How did you do it? Friends, let's say, partners, give, gave me these data. So you had accomplices inside the bank? Of course. I'm not the only person in banking system that wants to raise alarm. But Swiss authorities say Falciani acted alone. When they came looking for him, he fled to France and turned over his files to French authorities. Après? After he came to France, we realized his information was useful to us. We protected him, and we used his skills to understand the documents. Christian Eckert is Secretary of State in charge of the budget of France. About six years ago, Falciani gave the French eight DVDs of encrypted data. It took a year to decipher the information. Eckert told us almost every French citizen on the list was evading taxes. We've already reclaimed 250 to 300 million dollars from penalties and back taxes. French authorities began to disperse the Falciani list to other countries. The Europeans went after tax evaders and so far have collected hundreds of millions of dollars. Since 2010, billions of dollars have been recovered worldwide. The hunt for tax cheats is ongoing. I think this leak is the biggest banking leak ever. Um, ever? Ever, yes. Serge Michel is an editor of Le Monde, France's leading newspaper. 
LeMond was first to obtain the secret HSBC files, leaked by a French investigator with access to the data Falciani stole. Overwhelmed by the mountain of information, the paper called on the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, Welcome here, uh, Le Monde is very which gathered more than 140 reporters from 45 countries who spent more than seven months digging through it all. 60 Minutes was the only U.S. news organization included. Le Monde can deal with 3,000 French names, but it cannot deal with 120,000 names all around the world. We understood it's too big for us, and we can't have uh, Le Monde reporters working on Italian, Greeks, uh, Chinese, American names. HSBC declined to respond on camera to what journalists found in the files, but acknowledged to us the bank had been used to evade taxes in the past. In a written statement, the bank said it has undergone a radical transformation that began in 2008. It says it will no longer do business with clients it suspects of evading taxes. But repercussions of the bank's earlier activities still are being felt. The problem here is that some international banks abuse their U.S. access. In 2012, the U.S. found HSBC laundered hundreds of millions of dollars of drug cartel money. As a result, the bank had to pay $1.9 billion in settlement. For these big banks, the fines that have been imposed amount to a parking ticket. $1.9 billion in fines is a drop in the bucket for HSBC? Exactly. Maybe one quarter's profits. As for Hervé Falciani, he's still a wanted man. In December, Swiss authorities charged him with industrial espionage. He says he's a whistleblower. The Swiss say he's a thief. His ex-girlfriend considers him a con man. When Falciani first took the files, she traveled with him to Beirut. She told a British filmmaker he had hoped to sell the data and make millions. She says she discovered he was a liar and a manipulator. Falciani says he shopped the files around Beirut, hoping to set off alarms and trigger an investigation back in Switzerland. But as we learned after spending time with Falciani, the truth can be elusive. The young woman you were traveling with says that you were trying to sell this information in Lebanon. Of course not. She didn't know at that time. I wanted that. I wanted, I wanted just to trigger an alert. So you, you were using her? Yeah. So you're manipulating her. Excuse me, who is not manipulating Manipulating just the way to proceed, to convince that what you're doing is important. It's no, nothing more than that. Everyone is manipulating. Falciani did trigger an international alert for his arrest. He became a man on the run. Over the next four years, his strange saga became absolutely bizarre. He says there were attempts on his life and that he was kidnapped by Israeli Mossad intelligence agents things we could not substantiate. What we know for sure is that he ended up in a Spanish jail for five months, fighting extradition, and made court appearances wearing disguises, saying he feared for his life. I've read Mossad, kidnappings, hmm. shootings, disguises, fake names. Come on. <laughs> is this guy for real? Yeah, and this is real. Everything is real. You know how fantastical this all sounds. <laughs> yeah. But I can assure you, 
I was not prepared to that. Today, he's a hero in parts of Europe for helping recover billions in unpaid taxes. He says he hasn't profited from any of this and has been reduced to collecting unemployment. Did he get paid in any way for the information that he turned over to uh, the French government? He was never paid by the French government. I know other countries buy information from certain bank employees, but it's not the case in France. Did you want to be paid for this? I wanted, of course. I deserved that. You I deserved, deserved to be paid. But I knew that in Europe it was impossible. It does leave one wondering, if you did this for high-minded purpose or because, as you were saying, you thought there was profit in this. Yeah, common profit. I have no problem with profit. I knew that at the same time I could have both. What is important is not really the man. What is important is the data that he provided. It sounds like you're saying his motive may not have been great, Yeah. but the result of what he did has been a good thing? Has been a transformative thing. This is something that can change laws and practices all over the world. It was a great pleasure. Thanks. When the interview with Falciani was over, the man responsible for the biggest breach and leak in Swiss banking history left the way he'd arrived at our meeting, through the streets of Paris on his scooter. After our story aired, a criminal investigation was launched against HSBC in France. The bank's operations were temporarily suspended in Argentina, and Swiss authorities raided HSBC's Geneva offices. The bank's CEO has publicly apologized for what he called his company's terrible list of failures. 90%. That's the percent of your life that you're in your underwear. And underwear gets old. Fast. You know that feeling of putting on old, saggy underwear. Now you need to know the feeling of great-fitting underwear that is two times softer than cotton. You need to know about MeUndies.com. MeUndies has the most comfortable underwear you will ever try on. And it's insane how good they make you feel. They fit perfectly, they don't ride up on you, and they literally pull moisture away from your skin so you stay cool. But they also make you look great. Go to MeUndies.com and check out the photography. And for the girls, check out those smoking hot boy shorts. But you have to try them on for yourself. This quality would typically retail for two times the MeUndies price. No retail middlemen means more savings for you. Here, we'll make it easy. Go to MeUndies.com 60 and get 20% off your first order and low flat rate international shipping. Save even more when you buy a pack of them. They guarantee you're going to be happy with them or your first pair is free. Once you feel MeUndies on your body, you're never going back. And MeUndies isn't just for you guys. They just launched their All of Me Women's Collection, a four-piece line of undies designed specifically for the female body in all of its complex, gorgeous-as-hell glory. But to get that 20% off, you have to go to MeUndies.com 60. That's MeUndies.com slash S-I-X-T-Y. A show opened in New York recently that didn't get a whole lot of attention, but it features some of the most powerful singing voices you've never heard. You haven't heard them because for most of the performers, this is their first time on the stage. They've been singing their whole lives, in church, in amateur groups, in the shower, but like so many who had big dreams of making it, life somehow got in the way. As we first reported back in January, the show was created by a theater producer and former disc jockey named Vi Higginson, who has made it her mission to preserve a special part of American culture 
African-American music, both gospel and popular music like soul and R&B. She found a pool of untapped talent, men and women, in what she calls their second half of life, just waiting for their chance to shine. When I look back over my life. The show is called Alive, 55 Plus and Kickin'. And while that certainly fits the men and women who fill this Harlem stage on Saturday afternoons, Alive also refers to the music, and that is just how Vi Higginson wants it. The older people carry the music in their body, in their mind. If they die, then that sound may be gone forever. Her idea was not just to celebrate the music. She also wanted to produce a show about the life experiences and struggles that created it. She figured she'd start by finding the voices, then write stories for each character afterward. At least that was the plan over a year ago when she put out the call for auditions. We talked about it on the radio, auditions for 55 plus, and they said, this is a youth-oriented society. Nobody wants to hear about us. I want to hear about you. Theo Harris, 65, was one of more than 200 people who showed up to audition. He had caught one of the radio announcements on his way home from work. I pulled the car over to the side of the street. I said, this is what I've been waiting for. 55 and over, I'm there. I'm there, that's for me, yes. Debbie Bingham, 56, always wanted to sing, but she needed a steady job to raise her family, so she became a nurse. I worked in pediatrics, in a trauma center, so I did a little bit of everything. Did you ever dream of being a professional singer? All the time. There is a name that is so... Renee Walker, also 56, works for her local school district. When I started working there, I told myself it would just be a temporary job until I made it as a singer. So I've been there 31 temporary years. In some cases, the talent was obvious. In others, like a 75-year-old named Matthew Brown, a little less so. Oh, Matthew Brown. When he walked through the door, he came in and he was bent over, looking down, and I was thinking to myself, what's going to happen here? He does, he's not right for this show. Well, I don't know. I mean, look at, I'm, ooh. She looked at you and said, uh-uh. Yes, yes, yes. She told you that? She told me that. He took the mic, he pulled his shoulders back, he started to sing, and I fell out in my chair. Ah! Oh! She'll always be my song of praise. My God! That's what I'm looking for! And I looked at her and she straightened up. <laughs> Who sings like that today? You, you can't turn on the radio and hear that. But I heard that when I was a young girl. That part. He sounded to her like Nat King Cole. Did you know you had, that you got it? I, 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 I told myself, you got it. 
but I don't I, I won't say anything. It's not long when she's away. Vi heard a different sound in Theo Harris's voice. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. I put him a little bit in the Kruna doo-wop section. The doo-wop. The doo-wop time. Vi's plan had been to create a story for each singer that would match their individual sound. That was before she knew what kind of stories were right in front of her. Theo Harris revealed at his audition that he had spent time in prison. When he said how much time, he wasn't sure anyone heard him correctly. Greg Kelly, who was the pianist, said, wait a minute, how many years did you say? And I said 40. 40 years. Wow. Yes. And that's when Vi heard it. 40 years in prison? In and out. Harris told her he had committed burglaries, many in her neighborhood, Harlem, to get money to feed a drug habit. Vi told us she was conflicted, but when she and her husband and collaborator, director Ken Widrow, made their choices and assembled a cast to start creating the show, Theo was sitting front and center. Why did you pick him? He's this person who destroyed your neighborhood. Because he's part of it. He's part of the big picture. I can't ignore that. And perhaps it was necessary for him to have a second chance. Perhaps he deserved it. Another chance. And Theo Harris wasn't the only one they had chosen with a dramatic story, and he wasn't the only one who needed a second chance. Matthew Brown, born the fourth of 13 children in North Carolina, had spent most of his life illiterate. I was just ashamed, uh, I don't know what it was, but I just, just couldn't learn. You put up a piece of paper and say, read one word, I'm ready to run someplace. For decades, he drank until the alcohol started to affect his singing voice, and that terrified him. I remember the last drink I had, it was a guy I was drinking with. I told him, I said, this is the last drink you ever going to see me drink. Of course, he didn't believe you. But was it the last... He might have been too drunk. That was it. That was it. That's been 28 years ago. 28 years ago. November the 2nd, 28 years ago. When we heard his story, I just fell apart. I just... That's when you knew that you had to tell that story. Yeah, you couldn't... You couldn't really make that one up. It was a turning point. Vi and Ken decided to take a risk to have each singer tell his or her own true story paired with a song. Debbie Bingham, the nurse, wanted to talk about losing her son. He passed away four years ago. My son um, was diagnosed with cancer when he was 34 years old. Oh, my word. She's the one who took care of him. It didn't matter how much I knew. It didn't matter how much I helped other people. I just couldn't do anything. Debbie knew what she wanted to sing in the show, I Will Always Love You, the song made famous by Whitney Houston. Only problem was, Vi wasn't crazy about it at first. I wasn't sure. Why weren't you sure? If that song is not sung the right way, it misses big time. Ken said yes, Vi said no, Ken said why not. I said, because, and I said to her, 
If you give me the chance to show you, I promise you, you won't be disappointed. How do you say no to that? Can't say no to that. I can't say no to that. But I did say, okay. But have another song just in case. (laughs) Theo Harris wanted to sing about his time in prison and how it was music that got him through. They had a 10 o'clock quiet bell, which meant all talking ceases. So one evening, I started singing. And it was real quiet. And then when I finished, I heard somebody say, who was that singing? And I hesitantly, I said, that was me. They said, well, keep singing. Keep singing? Keep singing. I was their radio from that point on. Any song you felt like? And and took requests. Oh, took requests. Took requests, yes. Harris used his prison time to get an education a college degree, and then a master's in playwriting. When a musical he wrote was performed at the prison, music brought him something else, a leading lady. Of course, they had to get somebody from the outside because it's all male prison. And so my sister Doris, she volunteered me. Phyllis and her sister do volunteer work at the prison through their church. So when she came in, we saw each other for the first time. There was just some chemistry there. Right away? Right away. Did you know that he had been a drug addict? After our first meeting. He told you everything. Our first visit, he told me everything. And she played your wife? She played my wife in the play. And seven months later, she became my wife. She married you while you were While I was in prison, yes. Turns out, Vi had cast Phyllis in the show without even knowing she was Theo's wife. Not a day goes by. I felt she was hearing the stories of a generation, the generation that came of age during the era of urban decay and the struggle for civil rights, the black baby boomers. That was one of the most creative musical time periods. There were sounds that were created out of the emotion. But not everyone in the group had such dramatic stories of struggle. Renee Walker, the school clerk, raised her two children in a middle-class suburb. Give you courage. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. What were you feeling singing that? Just now, what were you feeling? It's hard for me because I don't really like to talk about myself that much, not my, my innermost feelings, but Ken was adamant about us getting in touch with our feelings. They decided Renee would sing about something that was really more success story than tragedy, watching her sons leave home to go off to college. And what did you feel when you had to say goodbye? Sad. Sad. You want to sing on the stage? Exactly. It has to come out. It has to come out. And there was one last story from a man named Matthew Burke. He and Theo Harris had sung together in prison. He sold drugs and committed violent armed robbery. You know what, I don't don't understand how you can leave me. But what he wanted to talk about in the show was what he had recently discovered in a case file about the first weeks of his life. It says that you were abandoned at two and a half weeks in a hallway. Yes. Mother unknown, father unknown. The first thing most of us get from our parents is a name. He was simply abandoned 2360. You are a number. And you want to know something? I became 
3684. I became uh, 00A6432. That has been my life, a number. You're smiling, but you don't mean it. Right, and that's the defense mechanism. Right, because it's horrible. Georgia. Good. He was named Matthew Burke by a priest in the first of many foster homes. When he sings the song, Georgia, he told us he's trying to give a name to what he lost. If I had to give my mother a name, and I could give her a name, I can, it would be Georgia. I need you, Georgia. I know a psychiatrist who says the most important question she asks somebody is, when you were growing up, who loved you? Do you have an answer? Uh, That's very difficult to answer, who loved me, because there's different types of love. Unconditioned, I mean... Unconditional, I've never never experienced that. So you, you have no answer for that question? I have no answer. To this day, I have no answer to that. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. We first met Vi Higginson a few years back when she launched Gospel for Teens, a program to teach the hip-hop generation the art of singing gospel. The teens are still coming, more and more of them each year. It's all part of her drive to keep this music alive. And what better way to do that than to bring the young and the old together? We were there when Vi invited her over 55 crew to a Gospel for Teens class for what she called an intergenerational exchange. Come on, Matthew. Man River, he don't say Vi wanted to know what the kids heard in Matthew Brown's voice. He just keeps rolling journey that he lived, coming from segregation, coming from racism. I feel all the pain that our people had to endure just by listening to his voice. And I thank him so much for sharing. She wanted the kids to try to copy the sounds they'd heard. Soon I will be done. Soon I The older people are passing it on to the younger generation so the younger generation can pass it on to the next generation. And this is your mission. I don't want this music to die. I'm going home. I'm going home. To leave. To There sure didn't seem to be any risk of any music dying here. 
as Vi's group took the stage to perform a live 55 plus and kickin' before a packed house in Harlem. Vi has a saying, the first 50 years of a learning and the second 50 years of a living. Life just begins when you're in your 50s. Amazing grace. It's a message that feels a lot like redemption. Always be. And that's what comes through in the music and the real life stories. As when Matthew Brown, the 75 year old janitor, tells the audience about his battle with illiteracy. I couldn't read or write. And when I turned 16, I started to drink, and then I was 50. <laughs> but I had no give up in me. I went back to school to learn to read and write. He started writing poems and even entered a poetry contest. I took third place. Then two years later, an essay contest. I took first place. No matter what life has thrown at you, no matter what you have done throughout your life, there's always a chance to get it right. Always. And this play, it's not even a play. This is real people telling real stories who have been through real struggles. And it's been a healing process for me. When the man, who spent more than half his life in prison, sings about hoping his wife will wait for him, it feels as though the song is his story. Are you still mine? But as in so many stories, this one had another twist. Seven years after Theo got out of prison, he started using drugs again. He robbed a hotel clerk and ended up in jail. I've never contemplated suicide in my life until that night. I didn't want any human contact, and I certainly didn't want to call my wife. Very early Sunday morning, the phone rang. And I said, I'm in jail. And I'm saying to myself, she's, she's going to hang up. She's going she's to leave me. He got silent. I said, do you love me? And I started crying. I said, yes, Phyllis, I love you. She said, well, I'll be there for you. She said, we'll get through this together. You know I need your love. And then when I said it, I'm like, what? I'm saying to myself, what did I say? But you don't know why you said it. I don't know. No. <laughs> But you said it. But I said it. She waited eight and a half more years. Me. If I could, I'd protect you from the sadness in your eyes. Then a surprise. The woman with the least dramatic story, singing about sending her children off to college, gets the most emotional response. And if I could, in a time and place where you don't want to be, yeah. The song is apparent to a child. 
wanting the best of everything for that child. I could have written it myself. It's that real for me. Yesterday won't have to be I love all the songs, but that song, for me, I sta- ceased to rehearse it here, and all the men were crying. All the men. And they used to tease us and bring, say, okay, Renee's going to rehearse the song, bring the Kleenex to the boys. I would try to shield your innocence from When we look backstage during her song, there they were. And I'm imagining in my mind that it's my mother saying that to me. And when it's his turn, maybe you were just too young. Matthew Burke speaks to his mother, maybe trying to understand were. why she abandoned oh, him. Maybe you were sick. Maybe you thought that what you did was best for both you and for me. Then he sings to her, the mother he had had to name himself. Georgia. So have you forgiven your mother? I'd like to believe that I've forgiven her fully. But you're not sure. There's a lot of things that could have happened, and the only one thing that I hope was not the case is that she said, I don't want this child. This child? Me. But I know... After a son mourning the absence of his mother, a mother mourns the loss of her son with the song Vi hadn't been sure about. And I... You know, I've heard it said that if you lose your spouse, you're a widow or a widower. If you lose your parents, you're an orphan. But they said, what do you call someone that has to bury their child? What do you call them? We don't have a name for it. I hope life treats you kind. There was a time when I couldn't tell the story to anybody without just bursting into tears. Singing about it, she says, helps. And I wish you joy and happiness. But above all of this, I wish you love. There's a pause before the song kicks up into a higher key. They're cheering for her. Ooh, and she makes it. Get it. And I... She nailed it. Always love you. Having sung their songs and told their stories. This cast of characters in their second half of life comes together for a grand finale. And it's hard to avoid the sense that Vi's drive to keep the music alive has achieved something more. The overall point of the show is this. It's never too late for anything. I'm not that sad little lady that I was before and things are going to be okay. Second chances. Is that the way you see this? How about seven chances? (laughs) I'm told that you tell people you're looking at a miracle. If you're not looking at a miracle, I don't know what a miracle looks like. It's true. 
This is what I've always wanted to do. You told us that you feel like you're floating. Ever since when I auditioned last year, I've been floating ever since then. You're still up floating. Oh, I haven't been down since then. I just love being an old man. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. For a look at how 60 Minutes reports its stories, as well as interviews with correspondents and producers, go to 60MinutesOvertime.com, sponsored by Lyrica. I'm Bill Whitaker. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss true crime anytime you want, anywhere you go with the 48 Hours Podcast. Real crimes. Like a John Grisham novel come to life. Real lives. He pointed a gun to me and said, this is the day you die. And he shot me. Real justice. There's some questions that have to be asked and need to be answered. I'm an innocent man and I hope the whole world can see it now. Catch the latest episodes of 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. Are you a fan of 60 Minutes? You can represent the most watched series on television with shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and more at ParamountShop.com. You can take 20% off with code MINUTES20. That's 20% off at checkout on all 60 Minutes products with code MINUTES20 at ParamountShop.com.